many years ago, um, a couple came into our church. In fact, they were not married when they started attending the church. They got married in this church. And, uh, and I thank the Lord for the many years that we've had relationship with them. Uh, I remember those years when we would have prayer meetings, uh, sometimes all night prayer meetings, and I remember them coming. And I remember Comfort crying out to the Lord. And you'll, you'll put it all together when you hear her story. But, but I, I remember those days where we prayed through and, and, uh, and God has been faithful. God put a promise in her heart that God would uh, finish the work that he began in her. And he's at work doing a beautiful work in her life. And um, then they got married at this church. And, uh, and then I had, a, I had a real passion. I still have a passion of just pouring into men of God and, 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 and raising up men. And so I've had these prayer times with men and just invited them hey come on let's let's pray together and let's just spend time together and so uh, I um, had a wonderful opportunity uh, Pastor Henry at the time was working in um, a, a construction uh, lumber yard and he was driving but I knew that that was just a temporary holdover uh, because God's hand was on his life in a mighty way and um, so we began to uh, get together and pray together on Thursday afternoons. I'll never forget. We used to pray together. And I just sensed God's calling on his life. And obviously now, fast forwarding all these years, we could see what the Lord has done in his life. Um, but recently, uh, they came into my office and they said, you know what, Comfort wrote a book and she wants to share her story. And uh, this morning in prayer, we were actually praying together and uh, I, I had mentioned to them how proud I am of the both of them and how thankful I am that they're in my life and what God has done through them to touch my life, my family's life, and this church. This church would have never been the same without the touch of the Dennis's on our lives. And, and so I'm so proud of them. I'm proud of comfort because she is using her story. Now listen to me. God never wastes a pain. He never wastes a hurt. He turns our pain into gain, and he takes our hurts, and he uses it for the glory of his kingdom. Now, I want you to know that this church is not a museum of perfect people. Nobody is perfect. I come close, but nobody's perfect. <laughs> nobody's perfect. In fact, the truth of the matter is we all struggle, and we will continue to struggle no matter who we are, even pastors. And, and I'm really glad that we've created an environment of transparency. You know my story, you've heard my testimony, and I'm thankful in this church that we're creating a place where we can be comfortable, that we can be safe, that we can be open and transparent, and we can help each other through the struggles that we go through in our life. Why? Because the truth of the matter is all of us in this room, every single one of us have issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got issues in your life. I know, because I live with you. <laughs> You know, we have issues in our life, and, and we're, still, we're still being made into the image of Christ. And, and you know what? Life comes with a lot of hurts. How many of you have been hurt in your life? Let me see your hands. The rest of you that are not raising your hands, you're in denial. All of us get hurt because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's filled with inconsistencies. We live in a world that's filled with pain and sorrow and many times that pain and that suffering comes from the hands of somebody that we love somebody that we trust because we're all human and the truth is all through this month I've been talking about dealing with anxiety and depression and dealing with discouragement and fear 
all of that stuff. And you say, why do you do that around the holidays? Because the holidays are time that it comes up. And we've got to deal with it in a lot of ways. And so we've been dealing with a whole lot of that. And we thought that tonight, today, just to kind of round it all off, uh, I'd like Pastor Henry to come and Comfort to come. And they're going to share their story with you. A story, listen to me, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope. Now, it's not going to be an easy story to listen to all the time. It's going to be hard. But I want you to listen all the way to the end. Because if you listen all the way to the end, you will hear a story. And there are many messages in this story. You know, the thing that I noticed in the first service is that all of the lessons that we can learn, all of the things that we can, uh, as individuals, that we can take with us home after we listen to this, because you're going to hear a sermon in the form of an interview, and I want you to listen to those practical things that you can do to go home and realize God is at work in your life, and he never stops working. So let's give it up for the Henrys today. Well, good morning. My name is Henry, and this is my gorgeous wife from Africa. Comfort. Um, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as Pastor had just said, we want you to understand that this is ministry time and that God wants to use everything in our lives. The enemy wants us to be ashamed and quiet and close our mouths and, and don't say a word. But what the enemy meant for evil, God wants to be able to turn it around. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul wrote. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that's what this story is all about. How God took a broken young lady and turned her into a gem so that he, she could turn around and minister to other people. This whole story really started off as a thought, and it wouldn't have come to, to materialize if God hadn't brought into our lives a publisher. Ricardo, I was going to call him another name, but um, Ricardo Black became our publisher. And there's a whole story behind that uh, about the supernatural work, working of God in him becoming the publisher of the book. And, and I don't know, sweetie, if you've, you've seen this video, but Ricardo recorded a message uh, uh, so that Comfort and the rest of the congregation can see uh, why he took on this project. So if you would look at the screens one minute and let's welcome Ricardo Black uh, as he speaks to us by video. Hi, my name is Ricardo Black and I'm very happy to be here today on the eve of the launch of this book. Besieged, bruised, betrayed, besieged, left for dead under the bed, like Comfort Dennis. Now Comfort Dennis is an amazing person. Had the pleasure of meeting her and Minister Dennis a few months ago, actually more like a year or so ago, in their home and immediately recognized that there was something special, that there was a story that needed to get out recognized that this woman was going through pain and the process of starting her manuscript was the beginning of the healing process for her. And when I started to read the rough manuscript, 
I started to recognize that this is actually a bigger deal than even Miss Comfort Dennis may have, have noticed for herself. As I looked deeper into the pages and I saw what was written there, I started to realize that this is not just a book. This is not just a story that you hold on to for yourself. This is actually part of God's plan to help to heal the world, to help to heal the people who are experiencing a similar situation in their lives. So I took on the progress, the project, I took on the, 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 the challenge actually of helping to get this book from her thoughts into her hands. And so today, it's ready to go into your hand. I want you to really get your hands wrapped around this book, around Comfort Dennis's heart, her story, her journey, and recognize how it's going to lead you down the path where you're gonna get the healing as well. That's why I took on the story. Amen. So, sweetie, our, your journey really began in Liberia, West Africa. Um, tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up in Liberia. Where I have a, um, I'm from a sibling of five. I'm the middle child. I have two older sisters and two younger brothers. Um, I grew up in a violent, abusive, alcoholic home. Both of my parents were alcoholic, especially my dad. He drank practically almost every day. But my mom drank mostly on the weekend. My, I don't have any memorable, good, memorable um, childhood experience because there was a lot of fighting in my home. My dad would beat my mom. He would beat her severely. She would have like busted lips, bruised eyes, swollen face. He beat her until she broke her, he broke her nose. And all she would do is cover it with makeup, put on sunglasses and go out and act like everything was okay. There was no um, domestic violence homes in my country, so she had nowhere to go for rescue. Um, and because of that, my mom became abusive also to her children. So um, she beat every one of us, but I got to beat the most because I live with her more than any of my siblings. I read a lot of parts in your book where there was so much beating. Um, and there's a, there's a caption there on, on, in the book where, where you wrote, and this is what you said, at times it would be painful for me to walk and lay down. It would be also be painful for me to use my hands because I used to protect my face during the beatings. Other times I would run into the room and hide under the bed to get away from her. But it did not help because she would go down on one knee and continue to hit me with the belt. I vividly remember my mother beating me so badly one day that blood began to bleed from my side of my head. All the beatings that you went through as you grew up, how did that affect you physically? Well, physically, I lost partial hearing in my right ear, so um, if you talk too low, I can't hear you. But sometimes I say it's for my benefit because sometimes I don't want to hear what somebody else is saying. Yeah, I noticed that you, when I talk to you, you're you selective hearing. <laughs> yeah, but I lost partial hearing in my um, right ear, so I can't hardly hear from my right side of my ear. And um, when I used to get beat, she used to beat me so badly. I used to try to protect myself, my face, because I wasn't only just beating on my bottom, I was beating all over my body. And she would use like a leather belt, the buckle part of the belt, and that's how I got hit. 
And so to protect myself, I would protect my face. And she would beat me so much that she would get exhausted and then she would stop. If she's not tired, she would continue. I would run, like Henry said, under the bed and she would go down her knees and she would sit out to like hit me um, with the bell. And so that caused my body, when she's done, my body is swollen, my hands are swollen because I'm protecting myself, all my hands are, and all my body is all bruised and I can't lay down, I can't stand sometimes, but um, yeah, that's what yeah. she did. Uh, after reading all that, why do you think your mother beat you so much? Well, one time I came across a picture of her when she was little. I look exactly like her. When she was in nurse, going to nursing school, she took a picture. And that picture, and I found that picture, and I started to think, I'm like, oh my gosh. This is why she beats me so much, because she doesn't like who she is, and I remind her of who she is. So she took all her frustration, all her anger, all her bitterness on me by beating me, because she probably didn't have her own self-image of what she thought she were because of what my dad had done to her. I noticed as I was going through your book as well that really the, there was physical abuse um, and then there was verbal abuse and then there was sexual abuse. One of the things that, that really stood out to me when we started to read about the, the verbal abuse uh, was you said in your book you would rather the, the physical beatings because the beatings the body could heal eventually, but the verbal mental abuse stayed with you for a lifetime, right? Um, you wanted the, the love of your mother so badly, and you went to extremes to, to really win that love. What were some of the extremes you went to, to to win the love of your mother? Like I said before, everyone craved their mother love. I know I did. I wanted my mom to love me. So I did whatever she asked. I would buy her things. I would give her money, even money sometimes I didn't have. I will give it to her just to please her and think about doing so, she would love me. But that didn't work. No matter what I did, it would work temporarily. She would be like, oh, my daughter this, my daughter that. And then it goes right back to the same situation. A lot of times people who have been sexually, physically, and emotionally abused are, are, are scared to come out because they don't think people will believe them, right? But the verbal abuse is just as bad, as you said, uh, uh, than the physical abuse. There were times when people would see you around church and around the house and, and they would wonder why didn't she smile a lot in life? Um, why didn't you smile a lot in the early parts of your life? I didn't smile because of all the hateful words that my mom spoke over me. She always used to tell me that I was ugly, that I was stupid, that I was useless. I would never amount to anything. I remember coming to church and people were worshiping and I would just be standing there and I'm not smiling. I remember one time Several times, Pastor Steve used to say to me, confirm your face as a Christian. Smile, put a smile on your face. 
I wouldn't say anything. I would just walk away. And then all I would say to myself is, easy for you to say. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know all the abuse I have gone through. You have no clue what I've gone through. If only you knew, you wouldn't be telling me to smile. That's what I used to think to myself. I wouldn't say that to him now, but uh, that's what I used to say to myself because I felt there was nothing to smile about. Why? Why am I smiling? I'm ugly. If I smile, I'm probably going to make myself look even more uglier than I already am. So why smile? I'm useless. Who's going to listen to me? I'm not smart. If I say anything, who's going to hear me? Who's going to think that what I have to say is that important? So I never said anything. I never smiled. I never did anything. I was just existing. In the, in the first service, you also say you didn't smile because you had crooked teeth. Yeah, I remember when I was little, my teeth, my front teeth used to like overlap. And they never used to call me for my knee, or they used to call me, crooked teeth, come here. Crooked teeth this, you crooked teeth that. So even when I fixed my teeth, I still had in my mind that my teeth was crooked. So that's why one of the things I never used to smile also, because I felt that if I smile, then they're going to see the crookedness in my teeth. The, the, the depth of your pain grows stronger and stronger as you read through the book. And so we start off, you start off talking about physical abuse, then you go on to be, uh, talk about verbal abuse. Um, and I think the thing that really grabbed me by the throat was when we got to the area of sexual abuse. Um, and so as I was reading the book, I, I, I thought to myself, what was the most hurtful thing about the sexual abuse? Even though we can't go into details here because we have children in the, in the, in the sanctuary this morning. But what is the one thing that really grabbed you by the throat and what's the most difficult for you when you're going through sexual abuse? My mom remarried, and I was molested by my stepfather for many years. In Africa, we didn't know the word molestation until I came to America. All I knew that my stepfather was touching me. And he did it for many years. The hurtful part was when I finally got the guts to tell my mom, you know what she said? I don't believe you. You're too ugly for my husband to touch somebody like you. So what did she do? She chose him over me. She put me out. She told me. Out of, I leave. He told my stepmother, I mean, he told my mom, either I leave or he will leave. And what do you think she did? She told me to leave. She put me out at the age of 14 on the street. There's no shelter, homeless shelter in Africa. There's no such thing as homeless shelter in Africa. So when you're on the street, you're on the street. 
There's a part in, in the, just before she put you out, there was a part where she came home one day after she told you to leave, and she still found you in the house. And in the book you write, she walked past me and went into the house and came back out with a leather, a leather belt and began beating me and telling me to get off her property. I was holding on to her legs as she was hitting me and crying out, saying, Mommy, please, I have nowhere to go. Please, Mommy, please. How did you get through that period? I think the greatest, the greatest struggle for people that have gone through different kinds of abuse is that when they finally have the courage to stand up and tell someone, people don't usually believe them. And that's why they are, the, Pastor Steve was telling us this morning, one out of five people that have been, especially girls, that have been sexually abused, they're afraid to come out and say anything because the people they expect to believe them won't believe them. And so even as Comfort came out and, and spoke to her mother, instead of listening to what her daughter was saying, she chose the stepfather over her. And there are some in this room that you may be being molested, you may be being abused, but you need to know that it's not your fault. And you need to know that you can come find someone so you can speak to them. And if you don't have no one to speak to, come find your pastors. Come find your pastors because otherwise you will continue to suffer in silence and you're wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Okay, so um, when she put me out, she told me to leave. I thought she was joking. She said, when I come home from work, you better be gone. So she went to work and she came back home and saw me sitting outside because she had locked me out of the house so I had no way to get into the house. She saw me sitting outside and she, she didn't say a word to me. She went inside, took a belt as usual, her, came back out and started to beat me and told me, get off my property. I told you to, I don't want you here, get off my property. And I was crying and holding on and saying, mommy, please, I don't have nowhere to go. She said, I don't care. You just get off my property. So she kicked me out. And that time, I ended up on the street, rolling through garbage bills, looking for food to eat, nowhere to sleep, sleeping on the street. The, the, the part of the story there that we won't be able to get into because there's so much detail in, in the book is that she finally goes to live with one of her aunts that mistreats her as well. And, and somehow in all that, that journey, she finally gets to America. And because her father had sent her to America to get a better education. And the only person she could live with when she came to America was her mother again. So she went and started to go through the same abuse even when she got to America. The, I, I read something in the book that, um, that really made me, startled me. And you wrote in your book, one of the things your mother said to you that would be that well, one of the things you, your mother said to you was that you were stupid and ugly and that 
the man that you would marry would have to also be stupid and ugly too. <laughs> um, so my question to you this morning is it <laughs> do you think you married an ugly man? <laughs> And I, I want to know that. Do you think you married an ugly man? <laughs> well. <laughs> you, you're taking way too much time there. <laughs> um, well, at first, when I met him, I didn't see his face. Because when he... Um, <laughs> They think that actually, they think that actually attracted me to him was his British accent. Oh my God, it was so good. I was like, I was like, he has such a beautiful accent. I love that. That's what attracted me to him to begin with. But then as I came to know him, he's very handsome. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna know. I'm just gonna bask in that glory for a little bit. <laughs> but, but the reality of it is, all the abuse that you went through really affected our marriage. Did they? How did it affect us? It affected our marriage in big time. I can't go into details, I went into details in the book. But it affected our physical relationship. That was horrible. It affected me not trusting him, not trusting men. I put him into the category like every other man. I always used to tell him, you're no different than any other man. You're just like every man, a user and an abuser. I didn't respect him as a man. But he stuck it through. And he loves me unconditionally, no matter what. I used to have a lot of outbursts, rage. I was so angry. I had so much rage in me, so much anger, so much bitterness, so much resentment. And I took it all on my family, my kids, him. They were my punching bag. I let out everything on them, not knowing I was hurting them also. There was a time you wrote in the book that really frightened you. And I really, you really started to think, I need help. There was an incident where you were driving one day, and our oldest son, Joshua, because you were yelling at him and screaming, he jumped out, the, jumped out of the moving car. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And every time I pass that spot, it comes back to me. But all I can say is, thank you, Lord, Hallelujah. that you protected my child. Because I had the same behavior as my mom. I was becoming my mom. Even though I didn't physically beat them, even though I didn't call them names, but my patience was very limited with them. I would scream at them no matter where they were. And so when they were coming home, I had to wait for him. I, was, I did not like to wait. I was so impatient, and I had to wait for him when I pick him up from school and coming from school. 
and I was screaming at him in the car and telling him, you don't have to have me waiting. When I get there, you better be there. And he tried to explain to me, Mommy, and I didn't want to hear it. And he said to me, that's why I don't talk to you. I said, I don't care whether you talk to me or not. And I just started screaming at him and screaming at him. And before I knew it, he opened that door as the car was moving. And he jumped out. But I thank God that that day, God protected him also. Because there was no other traffic coming from the other way. If not, who knows? He probably would have been dead. Yeah. I want to pivot here because there's so much in the book and so much of the story that we can't say or can't speak about this morning because there's so much there. And, and I want to turn it around to, to, to talk about how God started the healing process in your life. Do you understand? And, and the hope of this interview this morning is that even though you and I, even though people may have gone through abuse, there is healing and there's redemption by the power of God. And, and, and sweetie, I was, I was reading your book and thinking about it, and I noticed there were three areas or three things that God did in you to help you start in the healing process, right? First of all, uh, in the healing process, number one, God brought to you a trusted friend, a trusted friend. My wife has a friend named Orika, Orika Thomas Sorry, who my wife met in LaGuardia Community College that became a, a, a really... She is her best friend. And that trusted friend that God brought into your life. When I spoke to Erika, she said when she first met you, she didn't like you. <laughs> she said you were bossy, loud, aggressive. How did the relationship with Erika really change your life? Well, we met, we both went to school together. We both were going for the same degree, OT. So we took seminar classes together and in our class I grew up not getting a proper education so I struggled in school struggled a lot I couldn't comprehend when the professor was speaking I couldn't comprehend what they were saying but she helped me a lot and, and because of that I used to ask a lot of questions when the from the professor and she used to get annoyed and she said, why can't she just shut up? Why, you, why is she asking so much questions? And then the way I used to speak, I would just, my tone was very rough. If I didn't like what you said to me, I would just tell you off right there and didn't even care who you are. And so she and I started taking classes together and how we became friends, we ended up being paired up together to take a, to do a project for one of our classes. And so we started, we had to work together. And so she and I started working together, working together, and she and I started talking. And that's when she realized I have been through so much in my life. And she and I became friends. And she, um, and she helped me. She was a big influence in my life because of the way I used to carry myself, the way I used to dress. I dressed, I used to, dressed based on what my mother said how I was. I was ugly and I was stupid, so I used to dress ugly, do not be attractive. I used to wear some horrible type of clothing. And she would say to me, what are you wearing? That's not you. And I'd be like, well, that's how I am. And she's like, no, that is not you. And then constantly, every time she sees me, she would be like, what are you wearing? 
So one day she was fed up with it. She said, that's it. I'm taking you shopping. You're going to change the way how you dress, and you're going to see yourself the way how God sees you because you are beautiful. So she took me shopping, spent her own money, bought me a lot of clothing, and here we are today. You know, one of the things I, I will say is uh, I love Arika, but I blame her because she gave my wife a shopping spirit. <laughs> yeah. And this time of the year is not a good time for me. <laughs> not only in the process of healing did God bring you a, a, a trusted friend, he also brought you a faithful mentor. And, and I just want to encourage people, friendship is deep, but you need a mentor. A mentor that will tell you off. A mentor that will not tell you what you want to hear. Um, I know your mentor very well, Arlene. And I had spoken to Arlene Harms and I said, Arlene, you need to speak to my wife. And so in, in all this, Arlene put together a video that she wanted to, to share with us about her being a mentor uh, to comfort. So let's watch this. I first met Comfort in about 1993. We were in Children's Church together, and Comfort used to come down with her friend, Ulrika. But Comfort was so quiet, she hardly would even wave or acknowledge. She just came down and, and tended to the children. And before I could even meet her, she would have been gone from Children's Church. When Comfort called and told me that the Lord had uh, put it on her heart to write a book of all of the different situations in her life that she had um, come through, I was proud of her to know how hard it would be for her to go back to those times and um, have to actually write about them again. I knew that if the Lord wasn't going to put his thoughts in her mind that it would be very hard to write a book recollecting all of those things. Over the years, Comfort and I would talk. And um, when she began to put her story down in writing, it was only then that I, I really recognized how much um, pain and sorrow and um, difficulties she had gone through. And I was so proud of her that she would listen to write this book because she knew that if the Lord could take her through um, the trials in her life victorious, that somehow he would use her story to help other women. As her mentor, I am humbled that I was able to help encourage her through the times in her life that were so difficult. And seeing comfort now, today, um, she is an amazing woman. She has courage to bring her story forth. In the past, comfort was very measured in her words. She was very quiet and um, hardly looked to make a friend. And now she is so welcoming and um, She's just a woman that once you know her and you read about her, you'll want to meet her. Comfort, I am amazed at what the Lord has done for you and through you. And I am so blessed to have been part of that. 
walk that you've been on. And I just need to say to you that I love you, I'm proud of you, and I know this is just going to be an unbelievably wonderful future for you in helping others. Amen. And the beautiful thing about it is there's her mentors in the house today. Would you thank Arlene Harms right up front here? Arlene has been in your life for many years. How did she change your life? She changed my life tremendously. Because when we first married, we didn't have anything. So I couldn't afford a um, counselor. So she became my mentor, my counselor, my everything. I could call her and still can call upon her for anything. She walked with me. She walked alongside of me through all my pains, through all my hurts, through all my bitterness, my rage. She saw everything. You just seen the product of what God has done. But she saw me when I was nothing. She took me in her wings. She counseled me. She told me the truth. She never told me anything that I just wanted to hear. If I was wrong, she told me I was wrong. If I get angry, I call her. She said, let me hear your side of your story. She's never only just took my side of the story. She always wanted to hear Henry's side of the story. The majority of the time it was between he and I. I would just get so angry with him. And then I would call her and I would say, I am so angry right now, I could kill him. <laughs> and then she would be like, come forth, calm down, calm down, tell me what happened. And sometimes he didn't even do anything. I just heard it the wrong way. And I just took it and ran away the wrong way. And she helped me to be a, how to be a mother to my children. She showed me what it is to be a wife. She didn't just only say it. She showed it. She worked it. And she counseled me through the word of God. She didn't just give me her opinion. She always said, this is what the word of God says pertaining to this situation. Amen. Not only did God give you a trusted friend but, and a faithful mentor, he gave you a supportive community our church. There have been so many families. I, I remember we used to meet at the Shanghai's with Peter and Sandra, and, and there were so many families there, the Rossettis, the Alamos, the um, Laharas, Wilsons, the Hoffs, the Smooters, the Fowleys, the Londons, Mackays, Ethel, Torrey, the Moriellos. There were so many that you were able to get into community with that um, help you to flush out. So it's not just having a, 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 a trusted friend and a faithful mentor, but you had to work it out in a community of people that uh, you were able to feel safe around, that allowed you to be you in all your ruggedness while God was transforming you into this woman of God that he wanted to be. How, how much of all those friendships and all those families uh, did it help you? Because we had recorded some videos from them, but we, the technical difficulties, 
so you wouldn't be able to see all the videos. But how did all that community help you become the woman that you are now? Each and every one of them had an impact in my life differently. Like Ethel Walker, she became, I know she sometimes she'd be like, I'm not that old, you know. She, but she became a mother, the mother I didn't have. She took my family under her wings and she helped them. In Shanghai, Sandra Shanghai, I could always talk to her. She always encouraged me with my boys, what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Judith Mackay, she became a friend, someone I, can call, I could call upon to talk to. As Angela Huff took my boys under her wings, Leslie, Fowley, they all play a special part in my life by encouraging me, telling me that the person that God has called me to be, Natalie London, always told me, Comfort, you have such power in you that God is going to use you. But during those times, I couldn't see that because I used to think God can use somebody like me. Why would he want to use someone like me? She always used to encourage me in my prayers. You can pray. She would call me out. Even if I didn't want to pray, she would put me on the spot to pray. So, you know, so many of them play special, special part in my life. So one of the things I encourage, will encourage people to do is God wants to be able to do that in your life. Does that mean everything's going to be well? No. <laughs> Does that mean you won't go through pain? No. My wife and I would say to you, the first 10 years of our marriage was hell. It was difficult. And we had to walk this thing. And people always ask me, Pastor, how long do I need to hold on? And I would say, as long as it takes. As long as it takes. There's so much more that we could go into, but we can't because of the, of the time limit that we have. And, and in talking with the publisher, I also picked his brain and said to, to Ricardo, why do you think people should buy this book? You know, how, is gonna, how is it going to help people um, to be able to minister to other people? Because everybody knows somebody that has gone through some kind of abuse. And, and I believe he, he, he made a, a little video here saying why did he think that people should, should buy the book. Let's watch that. I want you to go and buy this book. Why would you buy a book about someone who's left for dead under a bed? Because you know somebody who has been left for dead under a bed, in a job, in a relationship, somewhere in their life, they're crying for help. You possibly, you possibly are that person. Go get the book. You won't know the level of change that's going to come in your life or their lives until you pick it up. Read it cover to cover. Send Miss Dennis a personal message and buy at least 10 copies for everybody you know. You're going to do good. Do great. Buy the book today. That's I want the, you. That's, we just met Ricardo, and, and he has been gracious to us in helping to put this book together. But even as we come to the end of, of this interview, sweetie, um, 
Your final thoughts. Why did you write the book? Well, one Saturday morning, I'll never forget, I would lay in bed and I was thinking to myself, and then I started to talk to the Lord. I'm like, why am I here? What is my purpose on this earth? I have a job, I do, I love my job, but sometimes I feel there's no fulfillment in what I was doing. Don't get me wrong, I love my job, it pays. But, and I started to talk to the Lord and I said, God, I need you to show me what is my purpose on this earth? Why am I here? Why did you bring me to this earth? What is your reason for having me here? And as I'm just laying there, not saying anything, and I just heard the voice of God saying, okay, I think you're ready. Take your story and put it into the book. I'm like, what? Take your story, take it from under the bed, and put it into a book. The funny thing about it is that you had written parts of the story already, and you had put the thing under the bed. Right. And it was funny when we started to talk with the Ricardo, and he, he, he just listened to what Comfort was saying and said, you know what? Bruised, betrayed, besieged, left for dead, under the bed. And that's how he came up with the title. Can you thank Comfort this morning? You can stay standing. I want the worship team to come back on the platform. I asked Comfort one time, sweetie, how come you didn't tell me in the beginning of our marriage? And she said, Henry, I didn't think you would believe me. And on top of that, I thought you would leave me because I'm damaged goods. And I said to her, babe, when I saw your thighs in that picture, I was already in love with you. <laughs> I'm African, we know, we, we see this. But the reality of it, there are so many people in here that you've gone through similar things yourself. And nobody believed you when you said it. And so you've pulled back and, 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 and God may have stirred something in your heart and you may be in the balcony or down in the cafe. And God may have stirred something in your heart this morning that you don't want to listen to, you don't want to talk about, you don't even want to think about it because it makes you cry every time you say it. But somehow God has opened up a wound this morning and, and, and he's done that so you can find healing. So that you will go on to become the man or woman of God that God has called you to be. Sometimes we think women are the only one that get abused. And the large majority are women. But don't ever forget that there are men that are walking around hurting also. That have lost their manhood. They have lost their confidence because someone abused them and, and, they, and they felt so ashamed that they didn't say anything. Let me just say this again. If that's you, you need to find one of the pastors. And you need to start the journey of healing. 
Because you'll never be the man or the woman of God that God has called you to be until you can learn to forgive. You say, forgive, Pastor? Yeah. You and I have got to get to a place, and my wife got to that place where we love God more than we want to be even with the people that hurt us. Then as you step out and say, Lord, help me, he starts a process in our lives, and it's a process. You don't heal overnight. Next year, 2020 is a special year for my wife and I and our family because next year we celebrate 25 years married. 25 years. But I will say to you, I will say to you, honestly speaking, there were some times in the beginning of our marriage that we talked about divorce because we just couldn't get along. But God, through his grace, brought my wife, a trusted friend, then he gave her a faithful mentor. And then he gave her a supporting community, the church, a small group, that she could be what she needed to be. And they loved her back to a place of health. And for those friends, I am eternally grateful. So I'm going to have my wife go down to the back. She'll meet you guys at the back. And Peter, come get my wife. Thank you. But I want to do a little ministry time before we go in the back. Picking up the book is great. That's great. But the real essence of doing this this morning is to be able to touch those that have been hurt. And remind them there is healing. There's deliverance, there's strength in the power of the love of Jesus. I'm going to have the altar workers line up up front here with some of the pastors and, and, and we want to spend some time praying for people and if that's been you and you've come through abuse, I want you to come and know we love you. We want to put an arm around you. We want to hug you. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to set things up so you can start the healing process for your life also. And then afterwards, you can go pick up a book. So if that's you and you've been hurt and bruised in any way, I want you to make your way up here. Come on. Make your way up here. There's people coming up. And I want you to be sensitive. Come on, ladies. Take her. Take her. I want you to be real sensitive for this few minutes. Don't move. Just for those that need to come up, come up. If you're in the cafe, there's a pastor down there that will minister to you. If you're in the balcony and you need to make your way down, we'll wait while you come forward. But this is what the church family is about. We're not perfect people. We're imperfect people that come to a perfect God that will come to minister to you. Point her to that lady right over there. Yes, let's take some time to minister. Let's take some time to minister. There you go. There's healing to be found in that place. And you, if you are a Christian right now, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to start praying. This is such a strategic time because there are people there that want to come forward, but they feel that if they come forward right now, they're going to be judged. Come on, Christians, pray. They feel they're going to be judged. They feel they're going to be looked down upon. 
And I will say that God loves you in all that shame, all that area where you have been bruised and hurt. The Spirit of God wants to minister to your heart this morning and let you know how proud He is of you, how much this God loves you. And He wants to heal you. Father, in the name of Jesus, sweep across this sanctuary, up into the balcony and down into the cafe. Sweep through the lobby, Lord. Let the power of your love and the power of the Spirit start to move in people's hearts. Let them break out in tears and break out in cries and break out in the areas that they feel defeated in, Lord. In the name of Jesus, set them free to worship you. Set them free to be able to lift their heads up. Set them free to know they are beautiful and are called by you. Set them free in the name of Jesus let them raise up a standard of prayer and, and a standard of adoration let them lift their voices to worship you because you are king of kings and lord of lords you're the lily of the valley and the bright and morning star you comfort us with the same comfort that you bring by your Holy Spirit And so we raise up the hallelujah this morning. We raise it up to you. We will worship you and adore you. And then Lord, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. And everyone said,